Hey, you miserable biatches. I'm Cody. Oh, I'm Emily. And we are back again with another epi of Misery Manor. But before we get started, go ahead and leave your fucking manners at the door. What it do, what it do, what it, what it, what it do. Wow. Ew, I made eye contact with Emily the entire time <laughs> I said that. Um, we're back. Your favorite. Emily's eating yogurt, so if you hear a slurping, it's yogurt. <laughs> they really would have never known. I'm totally kidding. Okay, so first things first. Um, some crazy news. Thanks to one of our um, listeners. Her name is Melissa. Okay. She sent us... A article. So, if those of you that remember episode eight, we went over a girl named Brittany Drexel. She lived in New York and she was approached by some older, popular girls um, that were seniors and they asked her to go on a, a spring break trip with her, with them. And she went. It was miserable. They treated her horribly. Um, she lied to her parents and said that she was with a friend when really she was in Myrtle Beach and she went missing. So when we did the episode, she was still missing, but there was a bunch of speculations of what could have happened. But yesterday... Stories, suspects, like yeah, there were even sort of, arrests made, There correct? was arrest, everything. And then yesterday, um, it came out that they found her body in, I believe, South Carolina... Um, and Which by, is not where she went missing. No, and it was she was actually kidnapped by a guy named Raymond Moody, who is now sixty two. So he killed her, he raped her, and then he buried buried her body the next day in the woods, and they found her. It's awful. So good news is, is she wasn't sex trafficked and tortured and all that good stuff. The well, sad I mean, news she is, was still tortured, but... right? But like for because remember they thought it had been weeks and weeks that she was oh, still alive right. um, and just being abused and all that. Um, so they did find her body. Um, her parents are of course sad, but they did say that they also feel a sense of closure. They're not having to wonder if their daughter is being pinned up somewhere, held against her will. Um, so they did, they were able to retrieve some of her body parts so that she could have a proper burial, but I just wanted to follow up with everybody on that because that is crazy. That's nuts. And we were also talking about because people had, um, I don't know if it was just the one guy, remember that you said had come up with this whole story. We didn't know, is it fabricated or was it really true? And it was just another girl that maybe resembled Britney. Right. Because it was so elaborate. You're right. And it's like almost in a sense, okay, one, did he make it up? Or two, did he really see those things? And who did who was he seeing that happen yeah. to? So there's a lot of doors that are now open that the investigators are like, well, wait a minute. Who were you referring to? Who did you see? But that house was burned down. So. Yeah. So anyway. it's a lot. But um, they did find her body. So, so um, well, her remains. Her remains. So, um, moving along, we do... So, I completely pulled something out of my ass. I told people if they're a Patreon, they can do a donation, a one-time donation. (laughs) 
that's not a thing. Somebody asked, hey, I'm trying to give a donation. I don't see that. Um, I don't see that option. And I'm like, did I really just make that up? I Look, I went along with it. I had no idea. Well, I did. Turns out I did. And so, yeah. And so we made a Venmo and it's called Misery Manor Podcast. You can send us any donations. We will be the true crime strippers. Throw us your dollar bills. Please. Um, this helps us get new books for research, new equipment, which one of our mics gave out yesterday. So boohoo, we need a new one. Mm. Um, more merch, all that good stuff. So if you want to do a tip, that would be lovely. Misery Manor Podcast on Venmo. Um, but again, if you do want to be a Patreon, there's levels. You can pay $5, 10 15 or 20 or even more. Yeah. And you Find get access- our LaCroix addiction. Right. Please. And you can get access to um, episodes, exclusive episodes. You... Oh, okay. I'm jumping the gun here. We are going to be uploading a new episode, too. So we did one uh, last week over Jennifer Mori, mm-hmm. just for exclusive for Patreons. And then we're going to upload another one today that's over some famous uh, serial killers, murders, and their famous last words. So they're like creepy last words. And it's actually a really fun, creepy, but like fun, interactive one with Amy and Emily. So that'll be on Patreon today. So become a Patreon and you can see it. And At the end, one of us gets executed. Yes. And lastly, we have our t-shirt print finalized we are going to be posting that so you can see it those of you that are patreons on the 20 dollar level get one automatically so don't worry about ordering it for those of you who just want to order a shirt we will be posting the link that you can um, pick your style your color um, size anything you want you'll be able to um, do it on there we'll also have some designs for like coffee mugs and things like that but we'll start off with the t-shirt but i will post that link soon so that you can Get a shirt and support the queens of true crime. <clears throat> I'll be reaching out to our Patreons to um, get your size, color, all that kind of yes. stuff. And then I'm guessing I'll just place the order for you. Yeah, exactly. And we're probably going to order a t-shirt first so we can see how this company looks. That's a good idea, right? Because if the print and shit's ugly, they're fired. <laughs> <laughs> we have that ability. <laughs> fired. All right, well, enough jibber-jabber. I'm going to get into the story. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, so this case is... I'm not going to tell you... I'm just going to kind of leave some things open, okay? Okay. So this is going to be called The Werewolf Murderer of Russia, okay? So I'm going to start off with just some introductions. I'm not going to kind of tell you where I'm going with it, but this is the case of the werewolf murderer of Russia, okay? Okay. So there was a guy named Mikhail Popkov. He was born March 7, 1964 in Angarsk, Russia, and he lived in a little community within that city. So Angarsk around this time had a population of only about 2,000, so it was a very small town, and it was about 2,500 miles east of Moscow. Okay. Mikhail had always wanted to be a police officer growing up. It was his life goal ever since he was a little boy. He had all, you know, the police, um, like, toys and, like, the little police car shit. I don't know. You know how Mari dresses up as a firefighter? Yes. Well, I can imagine he dressed up as a police officer. So that's, that's how much he loved that he always wanted to be one. So, unfortunately, though, Mikhail did not have the best childhood. His mother was very abusive, always drunk always beating up on him and just made his life 
completely miserable. So by the time Mikhail was a toddler, his parents were like, hey, you know, we're sick and fucking tired of you. You're going to go live with your grandparents. And they literally, <laughs> they like packed his stuff up literally and sent him off to his grandparents. Mikkel was obviously super sad and very upset by this, despite like the abusive atmosphere, because he really did love his grandpa or his parents. Right? Did he have any siblings? Yes, he. So uh, literally, the next sentence I was Sorry. getting to that. So he loved his parents. He loved being around them. He couldn't understand why they were so like rude and mean to him because he had a sister and they did not give the same treatment to his sister, and this like upset him. Like she would get priority when it came to like dinner like oh you know like what do you what would you like for dinner Mikel would just be like left alone like to find food for himself like within the kitchen so like it was obvious that they favored her well they just treated her like their child they treated him like, like evil like the plague so he goes and lived with his grandparents now his grandparents by all accounts were great to him he didn't mind going there he was just confused so but then if you fast forward a few years the parents come back to the grandparents house and they're like hey Mikel, we're back we're going to go ahead and take you back home. We're back. And he was like, uh, okay. They didn't give him any explanation of where they had gone. They, he didn't know why they were back. He didn't know why they were taking him back. Nothing. He just kind of went along with it. So they bring him back home. And when he gets there, he sees his sister happy as can be because he, she didn't have to go to the grandparents. And so he was like, it was very clear to everybody in the family. It was clear to me that like, they did not like me. And the sister was the favorite. Um, they did not care for Mikkel at all. They showed him zero love, zero support, no care, no nothing. It was just a horrible, horrible environment for him to be in. So every summer, though, Mikkel's parents would send him off to summer camp. And I'm sure you're thinking, oh, that's nice. You know, kids love to go to summer camp. But no, they were sending him to the summer camp to get rid of him. They're like, oh, you're gone. And there was a lot of reports that they didn't understand why he wanted to be outside and like running around crazy and being rambunctious. He was just a young boy, you know, growing up and he wanted friends. They didn't let him have friends. So they sent him off to summer camp so that he could like just take out all of his, you know, energy out on summer camp. It's almost like he was just different from his sister and they didn't like that. I don't think, yeah, maybe they just couldn't handle his personality. So every summer they would pack his stuff up and send his ass to summer camp. So sadly though, every weekend at summer camp, um, the camp would allow the parents to come and visit the children on the weekends because a lot of them were younger. They're toddlers at this point. Or like young, what is nine and ten? What is that? Is that a toddler? Not a toddler. That's a kid. That's like an intermediate school child. So the parents would come and visit. He would see them like laughing together, playing. Elementary. Did I say intermediate? Mm -hmm. Elementary. (laughs) Okay, that makes sense. Okay, so he, the parents would come, he, the parents would, you know, visit with the children, he would see them all laughing, playing, he would be showing the parents all of their new creations, like all the new rooms and like their decorations, but Mikkel would just sit in the corner with tears in his eyes, just waiting for his family to come and visit him, but they never, ever, ever would. So a lot of parents would actually pity him and like go up to the council people and be like, hey, what is wrong with that kid? You know, does he need anything from us? Is his life okay? Like what's going on with him? Um, and you would think the kids would, you know, be like, hey, you know, come play over here with us. No. Or, but no, they bullied him and they were like, do you have parents? Um, do you even have parents or something? Like, where's your parents? Or they would ask him, like, do your parents not love you? And then one kid told him, how much of a loser do you have to be for your parents to not even want to come visit you? 
That's so rude. It's horrible. So he was like, you know what? Maybe, and he was just trying to make it make sense in his head. So he was like, you know what? Maybe my parents forgot where camp was. Maybe they forgot that I could have visitors on the weekend. Maybe they're just too busy. Um, you know, maybe they were just preoccupied. That's all. Um, however, Mikkel one day was like, you know what? I'm not going to stay at the summer camp anymore. I'm not going to put up with this. I'm getting the fuck out of here and I'm going to just go home. I'm done with it. I can't stand these children. I'm done. So <laughs> he packs his belongings and plans his escape to leave summer camp. So that night he escaped from camp and ran all the way back home to his parents, which was just a few blocks away. Um, which makes it even worse for the parents. They could have just hop skipped and leaped on over to that summer camp, but they didn't. So he gets home and he's expecting when he comes through the door that they would be like, Mikkel, you're home early. We've Uh-oh. missed you so much. Welcome back. But that was not the case. When he burst through the door, excited as could be, the first thing he saw was his mother having sex with his father's best friend. That's disgusting. It's horrible. So, and it was just out in the open. So, obviously, the mother was not excited about being, uh, seeing him. In fact, she was pissed and went on to beat him some more, punished him to his room. So, Mikkel's heart was shattered, not only because they didn't welcome him with loving and open arms like he hoped... But now he's thinking, oh, my God, my parents don't even love each other. They don't love me. They don't love each other. They have no respect for nobody. What are we doing here? So to further add to the horrible way Mikkel's parents treated him, there was a time when Mikkel was, like, on a rope swing. You know those? You know how, like, when we were little, we used to get in the rope swings and, like, go as high as we could and, like, jump out at the very top? Yeah. Well, he didn't jump at the right time, and he slipped and fell and hit his head. So even with this like big open wound on his head, his parents still didn't care enough to even give him any sort of medical attention. Oh. So he was just bleeding out. He had scars all over him, a big wound, and they didn't care enough to even give him the medical attention that he needed. So they just let him bleed? Yeah. They just said, oh, you know, put a Band-Aid on it or put a gauze on it, something. Yeah. No, they didn't care at all. They didn't give him the medical attention that he needed. Okay. So as Mikkel went on to grow up, he still received massive amounts of physical and emotional abuse from his parents. But as he got older and he matured, he was really starting to ve- develop into a very intelligent young man. So people Cody, close... What? You were like holding your hands out and I was like, you were like, he was developing. And I was like, no. did he have breasts? No. I'm, I talk okay. with my hands. So he was maturing and he was starting to develop into a very intelligent young man. So people close to him said that he was very analytical. He was very smart, super intelligent, and just like an all-around bright individual. He loved to read books. He loved to learn new things. Always was studying. um, You know, just all-around very bright person. So Mikkel eventually goes on to the army. um, And right before he leaves, he gets himself a very supportive and loving girlfriend. And she tells him... Basically, hey, look, sweetie, I know the army is going to be tough, but I'm going to be here waiting with you or waiting for you with open arms when you return. You're my one true love, and I mean Mm. it. I'll be here for you. I promise. Don't even worry about a thing. I'll be here. So he leaves, and they would keep in touch through letters here and there, um, but that's the best that they could do. So fast forward two years, he comes back home from the army, and he's searching high and low for her over their little city that they lived in, and he's thinking, where could she be? So he finds her house from some of the residents that live in the community, and he knocks on the door, walks in. Honey, I'm home. I love how he just walks in. And he sees her, and she's married now with children. Mm. And she's like, look, I'm sorry. It was too long. I couldn't do it. I found him. I'm a lot happier now. She couldn't tell him. (laughs) Rude. (laughs) 
So heartbroken, he keeps chugging along. So he settles in from being gone for so long. He's like, you know what? I'm just going to join the police force. It's what I've always wanted to do. It excites me. It'll get my mind off of it. He knew he wanted to do something so he didn't end up being like just one of the drunks in the in the neighborhood or like one of the low lives um, like his parents because they were alcoholics. He wanted to become something greater and better. Okay. So That's he joined. Yeah. So he joins the police academy and meets a woman named Elena and that he soon so he soon married her like right after they met and they had a beautiful baby girl named Katarina. They were a super close-knit family. They would play games. They had movie nights. They would go camping, hiking. People said that the family was full of love and acceptance. Um, people in the neighborhood said that they would see them out together and be like, that's goals. Like, they are really? the ideal family. One of the neighbors even said, quote, they, they are the type of neighbors that would loan you money if you were ever in need. And Katerina referred to herself as daddy's little girl. Oh, no. So it sounds like they're doing great, right? So Mikkel starts working for the police in Angarsk, Russia. And at this time, though, at Angarsk, it is really, really, really dangerous and a tough, tough place to live in. So there was only, like I said, about 1,000 residents living in this town. During the day, there was about 2,000 because people would travel in because there was a lot of work there. Um, but as far as people that lived in that city, it was only at about 1,000. Um, so to give you some insight to the dangers of the small town, so like I said, 2,000 people there. There were two murders a day. Um, there were over a dozen gangs in this town as well. So it was very, very, very crime-ridden. The gangs would get in turf wars. So basically, they were just trying to like take over the land. So the gangs would target women and children of other gang members. Um, and that's like where a lot of the murder in these cities were coming from. The women and children um, were the majority of the murders here. So the gangs knew that if they were murder, if they would murder a woman or a child, it would be more detrimental than murdering another gang member. So they took their anger out on murdering your husband or your wife as opposed to just killing you. And the kids. And the kids as well. So like I said, two murders a day in this town. So at this, ta- at this time, though, there's also a serial killer on the loose to make matters worse. So there's gang violence, there's a lot of murders, and there's a serial killer on the loose. So at this time, they're calling the serial killer the werewolf by the nature in which he kills his victims. All of the victims are young women. So it was very hard for police at the time to know that it was actually a serial killer on the loose. Um, because there were so many gang murders happening. And the police would see a murder and oh, that was probably just the gangs. But little did the police know it had nothing to do with the gangs, some of these murders. Um, so a lot of the police were like, no, we need to put an end to this. This is not normal. This is not good. It's a lot of women. We need to stand up for them. And Mikkel was one of them. He was like, okay. we need to stand up for these women. We need to put a stop to this. Um, and it was also hard because... They weren't able to determine, was this gang, was this a serial killer? But later, due to the nature of how the serial killer was killing the victims, they were they were able to say, okay, this is the serial killer because he never used a gun. It was always slashed. It was always um, brutal, like with an axe. And then the gangs were majority gunshot wounds. Why did it take them so long to figure that out? I think that they it was just easier for them to just say it was the gang's. It was just oh. simple for them to just place it on the gang members. Okay. So, Mikkel wants to put a stop to all of this. So, one night, Mikkel's patrolling the area. He's mm-hmm. in uniform, and he spots a woman walking down the street alone, and she's drunk off her ass. 
She's stumbling around, looking a hot-ass mess, talking to herself. Was me. it me? It was me. Oh. <laughs> All that. So Mikel was like, hey, where are you going? It's super dangerous out here. And, like, when he pulls over, she's bawling her eyes out. He says, hey, is everything okay? Like, how can I help you? And um, so behind her tears, she was like, I went out drinking with some off-duty cops because I thought I could trust them because they're the police, right? We were having fun. We were drinking. We were laughing. We were partying. And then one of them brought me into a room and tried to rape me. So I ran away. I was scared. So Mikkel looks at her and he's like, oh my gosh, that's horrible. Do you want to file a report? Do you want me to bring you home? What do you need me to do? And she says, can you please just bring me home? I need to rest. So I'm going to leave that there and we're going to get back to this lady, okay? Okay. So Mikkel started making a, ha- uh, making a habit out of this. At night, he would make it his mission to find drunk, distressed women and offer them a ride if they needed it. He had a duty to protect women, is what he said. This could be his wife. This could be his daughter one day. He didn't want to see women in distress and in harm's way. So he felt like he needed to protect them. Okay. He was not going to just let these women walk home alone, given that there's a lot of gang, a lot of murder, and then there's a werewolf serial killer on the loose that's horrifically torturing and murdering his victims. Um, they said a lot of them, like I said, were slashed. They were bitten. Hearts, hearts were pulled out, uh-uh. decapitated. Um, so he was like, absolutely not. But how strange is it that almost all of the women that Mikkel would rescue would be the ones that would end up raped, tortured, murdered that same night? Huh. So this is the story how Mikhail Popkov became the werewolf murderer is of he Russia. Harry? No, he's actually bald. So he's known as one of the notorious, most notorious and deadliest serial killers of all of Russia. Um He's confessed of over 83 murders and has been convicted of 78 of them. However, police suspect his numbers to be closer to 200. And he did this all while being a cop. That is wild. So Golden State Killers slash Sam Little vibes. Yep. So Mikkel would actually leave the bodies of his victims in the forest or alongside the road that he picked them up in. So women would were terrified to leave their homes because this was happening more and more and more daily. And it was just out in the open that they would see these bodies. And people were catching on, this doesn't seem like gang violence to me due to the nature of the bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, like I said, they referred to him as the werewolf killer. People were just naming him that. Have you seen the werewolf? There were signs all over the, the city. Where could this werewolf really? be? Yes, people were freaked out. Um, so when Mikkel joined the police force, by all accounts, it didn't seem like he joined it so that he could kill. He had good intentions going into it. And it seemed like he really did like what he did, and he just wanted to live a happy and normal life. However, while he joined in his early um, time of being a police officer, he experienced some really big life events. So one day, he gets up early from work. He's driving home, room, room, <laughs> and he's super excited to see his wife and daughter. Dinner's well, yeah, he loved them. Oh. So dinner's ready. Are you not listening? I am, but he's yeah, trying he's all... to protect women, but he's also killing them. Well, he, not his wife and his daughter. Whoa. So dinner's ready. He's exhausted from a long day of work. He pulls into his home, and he sees his five-year-old daughter just sitting outside in the yard playing. Now, Angars is close to Siberia, and mm-hmm. or in Siberia. I think Siberia, I don't know. I That's where Bella is from. Oh, Siberian Husky. 
Um, so she's pl- sitting literally in the yard and it's freezing and she's not dressed accordingly. And Mikkel pulls in. He's like, what are you doing, Katarina? It's freezing outside. And his daughter looks at him and says, well, well, mommy had a friend over. Okay. So he's like, okay. A naked friend? But like, why are you out here like unsupervised? So he goes inside and he sees his wife laid up on the couch and she's all relaxed. She's just chilling. And Mikkel goes, Elena, Katarina told me that you had a friend over today. Like, what was that about? What did you do? Who was it? Like, not thinking anything bad from it. And uh, Elena replied, oh, just a girlfriend of mine. We just hung out. Why? He's like, oh, no worries. I was just wondering. A little concerned that Elena uh, Elena was outside. No, I mean, Katarina was outside. So he goes in the kitchen to, like, start some dinner. And in the corner of his eye, he spots something in the trash can. A condom. So... He gets closer and he noticed that it was a used condom and some beer cans. Oh. So he confronts his wife about it and they get in this huge argument. She does admit to it, but she she basically said that she's not going to stop. She's like, you're away for way too long during the day. I have urges. And she continued to cheat on him. And she even continued to cheat on him with his fellow cop friends. So she was thoughting and bopping all through town, honey. Hopping on one police officer to the next. Friend, foe, family, she didn't care. So Mikhail refused to divorce her because he said, quote, millions of people in Russia live like this, so I'm just one of many. <laughs> and he also really, really, really wanted his daughter to live in a two-parent home. But, Even though it was fucked up. Right. But this wife cheating on him over and over again, like, grew this deep-rooted anger towards women. So he already felt immense hatred from his mother, who Mm -hmm. also cheated on his father. So now he sees his wife doing the same exact thing to him. So he's like, what the fuck? Like, she obviously doesn't love me. I'm pissed. So instead of doing the right thing and just getting a divorce and, like, trying to either go to therapy or just move on, he decided now, instead of protecting women, he wants to get rid of women. So from that point on, Mikkel evolved into the werewolf serial killer. He was livid at women, and he wanted to remove them. So his first murder happened when he was driving in his police car at night patrolling the area, and he sees a sex worker walking alongside the road. She's by herself, and she's drunk. So he slowed down to make sure everything was going okay and asked if she needed uh, a ride home. Mm -hmm. So he pulls down, he rolls down the window, and he, she turned to look at him, and he completely changed his mind. He was just going to take her home, but he was like, something came over me. And he said that the lady looked just like his mother from when she was younger. Mm-hmm. So he said the first thing that came to him was like, if I just kill this lady, it will almost be like me killing my mother. So he's getting revenge in a sense, he thought. So he claimed that something came over him and he was just in full-on attack mode. He stopped the vehicle, dragged her into the woods by her hair, raped her, tortured her, and then obviously killed her. He said that the feeling that he had when he did this was none, no regrets. He said it was like a rush of power washed over him. And he thought genuinely that he was helping society get rid of these prostitutes is what he called them. Wow. He's like Edmund Kimber, kind of, with the mom thing. Um, do we know her name? Mm-mm. That's sad. I mean, I'm sure I could find it, but in the article I could not. And, and a lot of it's so... in Russia, too. So, like, Russian, so it was, I had to, like, it was difficult. But some of these women, I do have their names. 
So he thought that the feeling was too wonderful not to continue to do this. So from that point, he told himself that he wanted to get rid of as many women as he possibly could. He thought, like I said, he was helping men out. So going back to the woman, remember I said that she was walking home, drunk, sobbing, and she Mm -hmm. was the one that told him that she was hanging out with the policemen at the bar. She was having a good time. She tried to, one of them tried to rape her, so she left the bar running, and she was hysterical. So Mikkel hears this, and he's like, oh, no, you know, get in the car. Let's go file a report. I'm going to get you home safe. It's freezing outside. Um, Because at night, it would get to be, like, sub-zero temperatures. Right. So she gets in the car. She's like, thank you so much. I'm so tired. I just need rest. Like, this was just so crazy. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, So Mikkel looks at her, and he beats her upside the head, knocks her out for a brief moment, moment, pulls the car over, drags her by her hair into the woods. She said, um, so when she came to, he was yelling at her, um, why were you with them in the first place? Didn't you know you were going to get raped being in that situation? With a bunch of officers. Right. So when she tried to argue back, he took out a knife and started stabbing her in the chest over and over again, slashing her entire body up. Hence why he's the werewolf killer. Uh Um, So slashed her all over, head to toe. Outside, right? Because not in his... Outside in the woods and in the snow. So like I said, all of his killings were almost the same way. And he would always go on the prowl at night. And he would look for alone, drunk women. So you might think, uh, does he target women because... Or drunk women because they're easier or to take advantage of? Or maybe they're um, not thinking as sharply and more likely to comply Mm -hmm. But he said the reason why he liked drunk women was because it reminded him of his alcoholic mother. So he would target women ages 17 to 42. And he noticed that, um, oh, and it was noted that a lot of the women that he targeted were, they said voluptuous or like thicker and shorter. It's like me. So, no, you would be safe. You ain't thick, bitch. <laughs> you you rattled them bones when you walked, and he didn't want a corpse. He didn't want a corpse. I hate you. So he would pull up to these women and ask them if they needed a ride, which he majority majority never got turned down because these women felt safe. Oh, he's a police officer. It's freezing balls out here, and I need to go home. So when the women would hop in, he said he would ask them the most important question of their lives, and this would determine if they were to be lived if they would live or be murdered. Okay. So he would ask them, do you want to go home or would you like to keep partying with me? It's your choice. Um, I would like to go home, please. So he said if they replied that they wanted to go home, he would take them home. No questions asked. This is because he said that they would, uh, they were respectful. They were nice women who probably had a home that they needed to go to, husbands. Um, and it showed that they really respected police officers. However, if the woman said that they wanted to keep partying with him, they were then dirty whores and needed to be gotten rid of. He said that they were, quote, fallen women. He said he never went out of his way to look for fallen women. Part of the thrill of this game was all in the question. He got a thrill off of pulling up to women, wondering how they were going to answer that question. I don't know if I believe that. That he asked them that and then granted their life. Right. I just don't. You, like, you a genie in a bottle, bitch? Yeah. Thanks for granting I that I feel wish. like he killed I all think of he them. made his own rules, but that's what he told people. That that's the question that determined it. So, basically, it's, he's taking it off of him and said, well, the... It reli- that they decided. That they it, decided their fate. Exactly. So, once the women answered the question, he would knock them out 
um, by hitting them with something that he had in the car. So he had a lot of weapons, but it was also found that he also had axe, axes, um, bats, machetes, screwdrivers, knives, and pull sticks as well. So he would use whatever the hell he had to cut them up and beat the shit out of them. So then he would drive them to the outskirts of the city where there was like all these open roads and forests on either side, drag the women out of the car, undress them or make them undress themselves and just start attacking them with anything that he had. So once they were bloody, he would then sexually assault them. He got off on them being beaten and then he would kill them after. So like I said, the attack is really what got him going. And in some instances, he stabbed them over a hundred times and he would also, in some cases, strangle them, decapitate them, pull their hearts and organs out, or just simply stab them to death. Um, and he would have sex with the dead bodies no. afterwards, too. So he would He rape. is like all of the serial killers rolled into to one. one. Right. So he would have sex with them alive and then their dead bodies, too. So once they were dead, he would either leave them in the forest, drop them off closer to the road to be found, because that was a thrill for him, too. Or he would lay their bodies over uh, tombstones in the graveyards for people to find on other people's graves. I hate that so much. So I'm going to get into some of the women. Now, it's expected that he has about 200 of these, so it's really hard for me to determine which ones. Huh? These. These what? You're like, he has 200 of these. Okay, he has 200 murders. (laughs) So um, it was kind of hard for me to just like pick and choose which ones to do, but I just picked the ones that had the most details to it. Uh So he picked up a woman by the name of Oksana. So after work, she had met up with a few friends for a drink. She was a full-time mom and worked during the day, and she wanted um, sometimes to just hang out with her friends and catch up over some cocktails. So on her way home, a police officer, Mikhail, pulled up. Hey, do you need a ride? And she said she... Told him that she didn't really need a ride, but she Mm -hmm. agreed because, again, she felt safe. It was a police officer. She thought, why not? Sure. So she gets into the car, and he's like, hey, before we go home, did you want to have another drink with me? No. And Oksana's like, uh, sure. She felt bad. I think she felt bad because he offered her a ride. She was like, you know what? It wouldn't hurt. Let's just, I'm already out drinking. Yeah, one more drink wouldn't hurt. So she agrees. He accepts. That was her death wish, and he knocks her unconscious and drags her into the woods to begin his ritual. So when she does not come home the next day, her husband and children are in full-on panic mode. The police find her body, and the family's so confused. How could this have happened? She was so responsible. What could have led to this? How could this have happened? You know, like, she was responsible. This is She doesn't get herself into harm like this, right? Yeah. So when the family, when it was released that she had been raped and murdered, the police started to question the family. They put it on them. Why was she even out in the first place? Doesn't she have under kid, underage kids that she needs to be home taking care of? I hate that. So they thought it was her fault and said, well, she's just an irresponsible mother. She was hanging out with the wrong crowd at the wrong time. It's unfortunate that, you know, which is not the case at all. She was literally just with her girlfriends out at the bar. <laughs> so, again, they're planting it on the wrong people. So Mikel is hearing all this. He's a police officer. He's hearing these stories and he's gaining all of this confidence because he's like, I'm never going to get caught. This is awesome. People are not going to expect it to me. They're going to throw it on everybody else but me. Let's keep going. So as he's getting away with it, his urge is continuing to grow and grow and grow. So he starts talking to the uh, taking women to the same spot he would bring his family to go camping. He would bury the victims' clothes near the trees at the same campsite, 
there are photos of him with his family, happy as can be, in the exact same spot that he murdered some of his women. They were later found, like, underneath, their bodies were later found underneath, basically where he was sitting in the picture. Oh, my God. So one day, he's driving around, and he's on the hunt for women to play the sick fucking gang with. So he comes across 17-year-old Svetlana walking along the road, and she's freezing. Mikhail pulls up. Hey, it's freezing outside. You're not dressed for this weather, ma'am. Do you need me to take you home? It's warm in here. You should get in. So Svetlana complies and she gets into the car, but she let him know that she did want to go home. Mm -hmm. She was tired. She wanted to go home. However, this instance was different. As they're about to be at her house, she sees her house and she's like, okay, yay, thank you so much. Um, Mikkel has a change of heart. He passes her house up. She's like, wait, 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 where are you going? What are you doing? You're passing out my house. Like, please let me out. Where are you taking me? And he looks at her and knocks her out. And she said she was in and out of consciousness, back and forth. She said she remembers waking up in the woods and he was kicking her head like a soccer ball and beating her head up against a tree. Svetlana said, quote, it seemed like it went on for eternity. Afterwards, he proceeded to rape her viciously And I do want to mention this. She was a virgin. Mm. So Svetlana also mentioned that she was shaking so bad during the rape, but he was like mute. He didn't respond to anything. She said that she would ask them to please stop. She was pleading for her life. He wouldn't look her into the eyes. She made it a, like she made it to where that she had to look him into the eyes. Um, And she said that when she looked him into his eyes, she saw a monster she said his eyes were black, like oh. dark holes in the night, just like a fucking animal. I hate that. So um, so he rapes her, and he goes to retrieve something, and Svetlana finds the strength and courage to just make a run for it. So she actually said she tried running to his car, and she was hoping and praying that when she got to the car, he had left his keys in there, and that she was just going to get in there and haul some ass. But when she gets to the car, it's locked. And so she's like, no, 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 please. So she just starts running down the road and she sees all these cars coming towards her. And she's like, help me, help me, help me. And she's bloody. And these people literally swerved to miss her and kept going. And naked. And she's naked. She's bloody. She's crying. And they miss her. She said she remembers very distinctly that these cars, multiple cars, just passed her up. So at this point, she's bleeding out. She's Her mind is going in and out, and he catches up to her and knocks her upside the head again, drags her by her hair into the deep, deep, deep within the woods. Stop. So, so listen to this. No. So she wakes up, and she's in her room, and it's cold, mm-hmm. it's dark, it's quiet. So she looks to her left, and she sees a body. She looks to her right, and she sees another body. And then she starts looking around the room and she sees more and more bodies and she's surrounded by a bunch of dead bodies. And then she sees a toe tag Uh. on one of them and she knows instantly that she is in a morgue. I was going to say a horror movie. So when they had found her body, they had assumed that she was just dead. There was like, there is no way that someone survived this. I don't even think they checked for a pulse at this time because that's how mangled she was. And she was so cold, I'm sure. In the snow, Yes. So, but she was hanging on by a thread. She said, they said she was covered in stab wounds from head to toe. Her head was caved in. <gasps> her hair had been yanked out. Um, and they said, basically, there is not a chance that this tiny 17-year-old girl could have survived this. So they just stuck her in the morgue. So she wakes up 
and she notices that half of her body is paralyzed and she can't really move from the waist down. So she couldn't walk. She couldn't really even talk to go find help. She's in full panic mode. So she says to herself, where am I? How did this happen? What is my name? Where am I? She yeah. cannot remember anything. Um, so like I said, she can't walk. She can't talk. She's just forced to lay there. And she said she fainted because she was so in shock and yeah. just panicked. So eventually a worker comes to the morgue and notices that her little body is like trying to wiggle and move and like making these sounds. So they immediately call for help and transport her her to a hospital. So she said after she fainted, she woke up in the hospital. Um, But she had to completely learn how to walk again. However, she does start to regain her memory. Um, As the days go on, she remembers little bits and pieces. Um, But the hospital had labeled her 25, not 17. And she said, quote, his attack had aged me seven years. So that's how gruesome and like, what a toll it took on her whole body. Damn. So the injuries that she had afterward were horrible. Svetlana said, quote, my brain was damaged. I had severe frostbite. I was forced to take medication for syphilis. I was a virgin before he attacked me. So I know for sure it was him who infected me. I was not able to walk or talk for quite some time. I had to learn everything again from the beginning. It took two or three months. I have a stutter. I had a stutter and I still do. Mm. And she said it really, like, she has not been able to live a normal life. Um, She said she wished she had gone on to have a great job and just have all these wonderful children. But, you know, a lot of the things that she's still dealing with has not allowed her to continue to move on. They even said that when she was in court and they asked her to identify the man that did this to her, Right when she looked at him, she fell to her knees. She couldn't walk again because it was just so horrible for her to see him again. Oh, my God. So in the hospital, though, when she finally came to, she remembered. So so she was starting to get her memory. She said she remembered trying to run away. She remembered her head being smashed in. She remembers the rape. She remembers all the people that tried to pass her and didn't offer help. And she, she slowly starts remembering the details of the man who did this to her. So she immediately gets in contact with the police and give them a, the description of the man who raped her and who did all this to her. And it fits the description of Mikkel to a T. So the police contact him. But this is how the conversation basically went. Hey, listen, Mikkel, we have this girl who's in the hospital and she's gone a little bit crazy. She thinks you raped her and that you tried to kill her. But we think she's lost her mind. You know it. We know it. We all know it. Um, but, you know, it's standard protocol. So I just got to ask you, what were you doing that day? He said, oh, I was with my wife and my kids, sir. You know, I would never do that. Are you kidding me? This girl must have some serious brain injuries. Because a lot of the times he would get in his car, like even when he's not patrolling. Right. And he would just show people his badges. He wouldn't be in he his like cop car. Up. He would just be like, hey, I'm in my personal car. But here's my badge. I am a cop. You can trust me. So when he tells them all this they're like oh yeah that's what we thought sounded good but we just wanted to hear that from you that makes sense because the lady who ran away from the officers at the bar Mm -hmm. if he was in his patrol car she probably would have ran off right so if he pulled over in a civilian car and Mm -hmm. was like hey like da 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 and then like showed the badge yeah she you know wouldn't it her instinct wouldn't have been to run off right off right. the bat. Yeah, exactly. 
So Svetlana would honestly have to wait 17 years before she uh-huh. got justice for to what happened to her. And everyone on the case did believe... A whole other lifetime for her. 17 right. and 17. Right. So everybody on the case did believe that something horrible went happened to her, but they did not believe that it could possibly be a police officer. They were like, there's no way, there's no how. And she was like, I know what happened. I know who it was. You have to believe me. And they looked at her and they said, how are we supposed to believe that when you couldn't even remember your name? Isn't that the simplest thing to remember your name? You couldn't even remember that. Okay, well, she does now. Right. So she- Again, going back to earlier, they're just trying to plant this on something else. So there's another survivor named Evgenia. She was 18 years old, and she was out to dinner with a guy. So some reports say it was her boyfriend. Um, so they were at dinner, and he's, like, asking her to stay the night that night. And she and he's like, come on, baby. You know, please stay over. We can have fun. Please, please, please. And she's like, no, I really just want to go home. I just want to have a night to myself. I don't really feel comfortable. I don't want to do that. I just want to go home. So he, they said that when they wrapped up dinner um, and head outside, he's like, so are you going to stay the night with me or what? please. Like, we don't have to do anything. I just want to, you know, cuddle. And she's like, no, (laughs) she's like, no, I want to go home. So he's livid. And he's like, well, fine. Then you can walk yourself home then. So she's like, all right, I'll walk home. And it was only like three blocks. So she walks home, she's crying, she's upset. And so she's walking home. It's freezing. And this car rolls up. But it's not a police vehicle this time. It's his regular car. But the guy's wearing his police uniform and he flashes his badge at her. So he rolls on the window and he's like, hey, why are you crying? Super dangerous out here. You don't need to be walking alone. So hesitant at first, she's like, no, no, no. I'm close to home. Thank you so much for pulling over. I don't need help. I'm good. But he's like, hey, but didn't you hear? There's like a rapist and a murderer on the loose out here. Like, let me take you home. This could be very, very, very dangerous. So she starts to think about it. She's like, that is kind of scary. So she gets in the car and they drive a little bit. And she said the next thing she knew, he was passing up her house. And she had only lived three minutes away or three blocks away. So she knew something was wrong. So she immediately just started to scream bloody murder. And to shut her up, he attacked her. He hit her upside the head. And she said, I quote, I vividly remember his face. It looked like a beast. I knew then I was in trouble. So she said she would come in and out of consciousness and she noticed that the car was headed to the middle of nowhere in a very isolated part of town, but she didn't even have, like, she did not have the capacity to even try to put up a fight. She was just trying to survive at this point. Mm -hmm. So he parks, walks around her side of the car, pulls her out by her hair and brings her into the woods. So he's beating her and she said she managed to slip off of her high heels And she breaks away from him and just starts running for dear life. But she's not running down the road. She's running into the woods. Oh, my God. She's not thinking at this time. She's like, I just need to get away some way. No, I know. That's just so scary and, like, hurty. Hurt because she's barefoot. But, I mean, again, that's the least of her worries. So she said she kept looking behind him and he was following her. She said he looked animalistic like a beast. He had blood all over him. Ew. He was making these scary noises. He was hunched over just like a Like beast. a werewolf. Like a beast. Yeah, it's almost like he transforms into a fucking beast. So she kept running, 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 running. She looks behind and she notices that she doesn't see him anymore. So she stops and she's like, well, okay, I might be good. She looks around and all she sees were just like, these dark, dark woods, the forest, like complete darkness, almost snow, and then just like scary animal sounds. So she thought she had really outran him and lost him. But right about that time, she just takes a breath. He comes out from behind a tree, slams her head into the tree and knocks her unconscious. 
he proceeded to rape her and stab her and slash her all over and just left her there, left her for dead. Because he assumed he was, she was dead. Well, because he's done it enough times. Right. So a few hours later, in the early morning, as the sun was coming up, there was a bunch of mushroom pickers that were in the woods walking around looking for mushrooms. Not like, they weren't trying to get high. They were like picking out ones to cook with. Yeah, so, they worked for HEB. <laughs> so they come across her naked body, and she's covered in stab wounds, blood everywhere. The snow is soaked in blood, but she had a pulse. So the group picks her up and brings her to the hospital. They find she has severe head injuries, but luckily she remembers everything that happened. She knew her name. She knew her age. She knew exactly what happened, and she even told them, hey, I saw the police guy's badge. His name is Mikhail Popkov, and I can promise you that I saw that. So she remember. Right. So they look at her, and they go, no, sweetie, whoever did this to you is definitely not a police officer. And she was like, wait, how would I even know this guy's name if I didn't see his badge? Like, I didn't just pull this name out of my butthole. Yeah. Like, what the fuck? So the police did not want to go through the hassle of charging another police officer. Stop. Because, like, a crime like this would destroy the reputation Mm -hmm. that policemen are untouchable and that they're great humans. This would cause a huge scandal that Mm -hmm. this police officer does not have your best interest at heart. It could cause a lot of drama. So they were just like, oh, honey, your head injuries are far worse than we thought. Shoot. Which I'm sure a lot of people that experience head trauma like that, it can start making you think, well, oh, my God am I really losing it? Did I make that up? No, you did not make up an officer's name name that really was his name. (laughs) So there was another victim who went missing. Her name is Mariana. She she was happily married with kids whom she adored. She was a supermarket manager. She had a lot going for her. She loved her family. She loved her job. They had a nice home. Everything was going great for her. So one night she decided to go out with a few friends to just celebrate a life event they took shots, they had drinks, they danced the night away. That's the way, uh-huh, uh-huh, I like no. it. I don't even know if that was a song back then. But dance the night away is. Yeah. Oh, and this is in the 1900s. I don't know if I, I think I prefaced that. I'm sorry. I mean, not the 1900s. <laughs> like around 1995 ish okay. and forward. So when the girls are ready to go home, all of the taxis in the area were in use. Mm-hmm. So Mariana decides to just walk home. She knew the area, she felt comfortable walking. But before she got too far, Mikkel rolls up in his car. She agrees to get in and go for a ride, and she disappears. So her husband reports her missing the next day. When the police arrive to the house, they look her husband in the eye and say, I'm so sorry for what happened. You know, she was probably just out with one of her other boyfriends. I hate that so much. That's just... So he's like, what? No, I'm her husband. That's disgusting. She has kids. So he's probably thinking, wait a minute... Do they know something I don't know? So the police took no action on this case whatsoever. So, Why even say that to him? Like, right. they get nothing out of that. Right, exactly. Just planting it on something else. Oh, let's just redirect your mind over here that your wife cheated on you. So Mikkel had come across two women who were hitchhiking together. He picked them up, knocked them both out, and debated on which one he should kill first. He ended up dragging both of them out of the car, raped, tortured them, and he laid their bodies on top of each other. So the next day, though, after this killing, he went home and he was off this day. So he was just having a normal day with his wife and kid. He looks around. He's like, hey, babe, have you seen my badge? My police officer badge? Oh, shit. She's like, no, I haven't. Do you think you just like left it in your car, left it somewhere? Mikkel starts to think, holy dicky piggy. I think (laughs) I left it on the scene 
last night where I killed the two hitchhikers. I hope he didn't say it out loud. No. So he gets in the car and he quietly goes to the woods to the crime scene where he arrives and he's looking all over for his badge and he hears something. Save me. A stop. Oh my God. The next day. The next day he's like, he hears, save me, please, please, beg you, please, please, please. Stop, Cody. So he looks around. Well, you interrupted the first time I did it. He looks around. One of the women that he thought he had killed is talking now. So he looks at her, goes to his vehicle, grabs a weapon and just finishes her off right then and there. He grabbed his badge and he had it on home. So he's starting to get ballsier and ballsier at this point because he's like, I'm unstoppable. No one's even thinking it's me. So there was a woman just walking home during the day that resembled his brother. I mean, his mother, his brother, his mother. And she was walking to the train. Um, So completely sober, he pushes her into a random building and rapes her and leaves her. But he didn't kill her. He just raped her. So fucking scary. So now he's like not only haunt, um, attacking at night, but during the day too. So one day there's an article that's published in a newspaper and the headline says the Wednesday killer. So it said that a serial killer was on the loose, loves to attack women, preferably on Wednesday nights. That's weird. (laughs) And, um, they had been able to recover some of the DNA in the tire tracks, but that was about it. So the article also suggested that they think that the police is more involved than what they're trying to say, that it's just been a huge cover-up. So mm. it was also known that in this town, 20% of all evidence for cases is was typically lost or destroyed. So the odds were not in the police officer's favor. They did not have a clear system in place. The articles calling out the police of their lack of care or support on any of these murders. And when the public reads this, they are outraged. The Ministry of Internal Affairs start panicking. They even created a task force in 2002. um, And this was years... So, Michael... Mikel was active during uh, 1995 until 2010. So, but the majority of his happened in the uh, late 1990s. So, I'm sure you're thinking, why did he stop for quite some time, right? The odds were working out for him. So, he actually contracted syphilis... And he said he could not get a boner anymore. And he had no sexual drive. He had no will to, like, rape or any of that anymore. So he actually stopped. I think that's how Christopher Columbus died. But it... Really? Yeah, he was a dirty whore. But it makes sense because that's how um, Svetlana got syphilis. Yeah. So he was carrying Not from Christopher Columbus, but yeah. (laughs) Right. So back to the Ministry of Internal Affairs. So... Um, they actually sent this to Moscow to help out. So the first priority that they wanted to do was find out how many of these cases were actually linked together. If there was a serial killer, how many of these cases belonged to the killer? They were able to connect 30 women just by the nature of the crime scene because all of the bodies, victims' bodies, looked the exact same. Also, there were tire marks of a car. It's called a Lada 4x4. And at each of the crime scenes, there was tire marks from that individual car that was uh, Mikkel's car. So he's having all these targets on his back at this point. So even though some of the investigators did not want to believe that there was a serial killer on the or they did not believe that there was a serial killer on the loose. They were again saying it was gangs. So they thought that things were just not adding up. So at this point, though, DNA testing is now an option. This is 2002. But in order to do a DNA test, it would cost thousands and thousands of dollars. And to put this into perspective, 
one DNA test would cost the same amount as what a Moscow police officer would make annually. So in this tiny town, they only had the budget to do about 10 tests a year. And I'm not saying Moscow is a tiny town. Yeah, the, other one. the little Polly Pocket town. Right. So they had a debate, debate on whether they either try to catch a serial killer for a pretty penny or just let it go. Right. So they chose not to. They proceed. chose to let it go. They chose to let it go. So it would be closer to a decade before they finally catch him. And so they do this because they finally did say, you know what, let's just send the DNA. So they sent the DNA from several different crime scenes, Mm -hmm. and it matched against Miguel's DNA, and it was perfect. They were able to get his DNA because he had traveled to another city to purchase a car, and he had left his DNA in the old vehicle. So when he was speculated that he was the um, killer... The guy was like, oh, he sold a car to me. There must be some DNA in here. And sure enough, perfect match. They also tested it against 350 other police officers oh my God. just to verify it. Mm-hmm. And it was obviously not a match for any of them. <laughs> wow, so, they really did not believe it was him. So when the police arrived at his house, though, Mikkel, he was super calm. He did not try to fight it. He didn't try to flee. In fact, when they showed up, he even had a rifle on him. And he just threw his hands up in the air and did everything that the police asked. Mikkel confessed to 83 murders and was convicted of 78, and he was sentenced to two life sentences in 2015. So every time he confessed to another murder, though, he would get taken out of his jail cell. So he was at one of, Mos- or one of Russia's most intense prisons, and this has been on all over, like, the harshest prisons in the world, and they had him in a cell called the Black Dolphin. So in this prison, they would actually beat you. They would lock you up. They would starve you. You're blindfolded. That way, when they're carrying you from different parts of the prison, you cannot see. It's like all solitary, basically. It's all solitary confinement, and you can't see where you're at in the prison. You're just blindfolded. That's kind of like uh, torture. (laughs) For sure. So he would say, oh, yeah, I'm going to confess to some more murders. And every time he did this, they would ship him back to his hometown and they would put him in a less harsh prison so that he would have like a clean split, uh, clean space and like a clear mind to recreate some of the crime scenes for the investigators. And you know he didn't have a hard time figuring that out. No, he knew exactly what he was doing. Worked. So the police would take him out to the spot that he said he had committed the crime and they would give him fake weapons and mannequins and just allow him to kind of recreate what happened that night. Not the mannequins. So every time Mikkel gets bored in his jail cell, he would just come out and confess more murders. So the police think that he's responsible for over 200 murders. So police referred to Mikhail Popkov as the cleaner. So he told police that he wanted to clean the town of all these whores. And so he said, quote, the victims were those who were unaccompanied by men at night and were on the streets behaving carelessly. They were not afraid to carry on in conversation with me or get into my car and then go on a drive to search for an adventure for the sake of entertainment. They were ready to drink alcohol and have sexual intercourse with me. Not not all women became victims, but those with certain negative behavior did. I had a desire to teach and punish them. So then the police asked him, how many women did you kill in all? And he replied, I do not count the number of my victims. Okay. So I'm just going to read the transcript of another interview. Um, So the interviewer, she asked him, how can one person decide whether another person can live or not? And he said, but that is not a question to ask me. The (laughs) women need to reconsider their behavior. Maybe it could stop them from immortal, immoral behavior. Maybe it could help them control their desires and their nasty instincts. 
So the interviewer says, so you think women who cannot control their desires are free to do whatever do or, or are free to do whatever do not deserve to live? He said, whoa, 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 hold up. They partied. They had alcohol. They wanted even more. They wanted the party to continue. I'm not making excuses for myself. I'm simply answering your questions. What did they do to be murdered, you ask? They partied and wanted more and more. Well, bad fucking luck that they met me. Wow. I the interviewer says, guy. so do you think that you're a responsible person? He says, I guess not. Do you think you're a good person? He says, well, you want me to say I'm not reasonable, but I'm good? You put me in a very awkward position. So the interviewer says, well, I talked to the victims of the families and they really regret not having the death penalty in Russia. He says, well, maybe I would have appreciated the death penalty too. I could have been killed way back in 2015, but nope, I'm here right now with you. Wow. He's like mad now. Oh, he's livid. Okay. So going back to the trial, though, there was a huge scandal. Elena, his wife, and his daughter did not seem disgusted or upset with this occurrence at all. Um, They looked like they just kind of wanted to get it over with so they could just kind of move on with their life. So one day, the lead investigator on the case was in the car with Elena, and he's just simply asking her questions to go over the case. And she randomly blurts out, I'm making chicken for dinner. (laughs) And he's like, what the fuck is wrong with this woman? Why is she telling me this? Like, do I really care? And so he drops her off at the house. And... Later that evening, he drops her off, but he's like, you know what? I'm going to stick around. I'm going to hang out and see what Elena's up to. So when he, when he like hides out kind of down the road a little bit, he sees his boss arrive at her house. He goes inside, eats dinner with her, does his laundry, and spends the night. So the investigator takes his back to his team, and his boss was forced to resign. But later, he moved in with Elena. So more cops start coming And they're blaming Elena for trying to seduce them to get her husband a shorter life sentence. So they said that they that she would like wink at them. She would wear very revealing clothes and all that good stuff. So Elena would never even visit Mikkel while he was in prison. But she did tell reports, quote, if he was released, I would rush back to him in a heartbeat. He was a very good father, a good husband, and he was just an all around great guy. I'm not sure what happened. So to wrap this up, after being in prison for quite some time in 2018, he told police again he did not regret any of the killings. Mikkel is now in his 60s, and the cops at his prison referred to him as like a cockroach. They said he's super healthy, he's very active, works out in prison, doing great, great health. Um, So like I said, he has two life sentences, one that he got in 2015 and again in 2018. And in 2018, he confessed to another 56 of those killings. And then he said another um, two in 2020. Um, And like I said prior, he is the most notorious and like deadliest killer in Russia to date. And apparently there's a guy there that they call the checkerboard killer. So apparently there's like or chessboard killers. Apparently there's 64 yes, things I've on a checkerboard. Yes, I've heard And he wanted to kill each person to represent one yeah. square. And he and Mikkel was um, in prison um, basically bragging that he had outdone that guy. Ew. So, so fucking gross. he's still alive. I'll post the photos of him on our social media on Instagram at Misery Manor Podcast on Instagram. But Rate, yeah. review, subscribe. 
please. But this was a crazy fucking case. This is the werewolf murderer, Mikkel Popkov. Thank you for listening. Bye, guys.